So I'm very much motivated by a plant-forward diet. 80 to 90% of your food should come from plants is a goal of mine for my patients because the data is there. We're a nutritionally depleted society and we, need, we get a lot of that nutrition, fats, proteins, carbs, the whole thing from plants and you don't necessarily need any animal products. And why is animal products so bad? Because it's inflammatory. It can cause inflammation, not just in your coronary arteries, but also in your gut. It can lead to intestinal permeability, it can lead to hormone imbalance. It can cause a lot of disruptions in the body. So my personal feeling and my interest for my patients is to be as much plant forward and plant-based as possible. And if you are choosing to have meats or animal products to have the best quality version of that, grass-fed, no antibiotics, you know, any type of food that's kind of the best version of itself would be great. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Wellness, a podcast brought to you by the Columbia Association. I'm Dr. Harry Oaken, a community physician for over 35 years and the Columbia Association's medical director. I am proud to be working with the Columbia Association for over a decade and assist in their mission to improve the health and wellness of our community. It's my pleasure today to introduce our guest. Dr. Jothi Rayo is a community physician and a member of the Columbia Association's Medical Advisory Board. I've known her for many years. Dr. Rayo received her bachelor's degree from Rutgers University and her medical degree from New Jersey Medical School. She completed her residency in internal medicine at Tufts New England Medical Center and has trained in acupuncture at the Helms Institute of Acupuncture at UCLA. She's completed her functional medicine training from the American Academy of Anti-Aging and Regenerative Medicine in 2013. And she's been in clinical practice since 1997 and practices locally. She is also an instructor at Maryland University of Integrated Health, as well as George Washington School of Medicine. She is an accomplished author and has published several books, including Body on Fire and the Body on Fire Cookbook to help guide patients with lifestyle medicine. It's my pleasure to have you as our guest today. Thank you. So we're going to talk about something that we talk about as clinicians all the time, and that is finding a healthy weight. And one of the things I always like to talk about is this concept of overfat, which is an interesting concept of a way to look at how healthy we are. Now, overfat, as you know, means that when your girth is greater than half your height. So if I'm 72 inches and a male, I want my girth to be less than measured at my belly button at the navel. I want my girth to be less than 36 inches. And we know is we, if you attain that metric, more than likely your blood pressure is going to be okay. Your cholesterol is gonna to trend towards normal, if not normal. Your fasting blood sugar is gonna be okay. And you're just gonna be healthier. And you know, in America, lifestyle has led to almost 90% of adult males being over fat. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And I've heard you speak about this as well and how patients present and how you treat them. Yeah, you know, it's being in medicine and practicing for over 26 years, I think that about 70 to 80% of people have a problem with their weight. And I think the problem is multifactorial because it doesn't start off that we gain 10 pounds or 15 pounds over a course of six months or a year. It's gradual two to three pounds a year that kind of creeps up on us and all of a sudden we're 10, 12 pounds heavier. And I think that those are the signals that we want to start talking to people about in terms of prevention. You know, I wholeheartedly support a plant-based diet and 
you know, restorative sleep and exercise and the mind-body connection. And we'll get into all of that, I think, as, as a player for gaining weight when those systems are broken. But I feel like the biggest issue for people is to listen to their body. When things are breaking down, it's kind of like the car light signals on and the oil lights flashing at you, but we don't put a Band-Aid over it and keep driving. We, we kind of listen to the fact that our car is breaking down, but I don't think we do that as, as patients or as people to try to listen to our body saying, hey, why am I so tired? Or why am I so, you know, why am I achy? Or why is this rash coming up all the time? Why am I getting so many colds? Those are symptoms that can be associated with inflammation in our body that also can lead to the deposition of fat in the belly and increase our visceral fat and promote this kind of cytokine storm of inflammation and cytokines that will increase our C-reactive protein and other markers that tell us that we are over fat. But we don't need those markers because they start much, much earlier, I think, that our body is trying to tell us, well, why, why do I need a nap today? You know, why am I so tired after eating this uh, bagel? All of those things and symptoms are signs that we should start paying attention to that can lead to things like high C-reactive protein in the blood test, high insulin levels, prediabetes, hypertension. And so what I would encourage people to do, and I was trying to tell my patients is also to say, when did it start? What was the triggers? What were the lifestyle changes that happened that kind of led to this process so that we can start building a treatment plan that's not just based on a prescription or even a supplement, but also how are we going to change your lifestyle and go backwards almost in terms of creating that ideal body weight? Yeah, that's a great synopsis of this problem that affects, you know, two out of three Americans. One of the things I've heard you talk about, and you touched a little bit about it earlier, and that is this sense of fatigue. Could you talk a little bit about you know, how patients maybe not even recognize their fatigue, but, yeah. but it's really pervasive and part of this issue? Yeah. So my big take home for most of medicine, I think, is this imbalance between the sympathetic system and the parasympathetic system, which are part of our autonomic nervous systems. That's the nervous system that kind of isn't voluntary. It's our reaction to stress. And stress response, I think, when we have a fight or flight response, when our child falls off a swing, or we are in a situation where there, it's been pretty dire, our stress response kicks in and cortisol goes up, which is our stress hormone, our blood pressure goes up, our heart rate goes up. But to combat that, we need that parasympathetic system, which is that rest and digest. And so when our rest and digest cannot be playing at the same level as our sympathetic system, so when it goes up and down, when the sympathetic goes down, then the parasympathetic is supposed to go up. But so much of us are running on adrenaline all the time where it's, I can't get this email out. I'm juggling this work-life schedule. I'm sitting all day. All of these stressors on our body are constantly invoking our sympathetic overdrive, which I think shuts down our rest and digest system. And that imbalance, I feel, results in all this inflammation and symptoms, which one of them is fatigue. So fatigue can be mental. I mean, sitting in a car when I, you know, this was something that I had realized a long time ago. Why am I so tired sitting in a car driving? I'm just sitting here. But the constant input of this traffic and the lights and getting lost and, you know, all of that stuff drains me. Even sitting in a lecture, for example, you're just sitting. Why do I feel so exhausted? It's that mental stress. It's that mental fatigue that I think affects our physical fatigue. And that is a one big area that I feel like people really need to be aware of how much of the day they're spending with their thoughts, being afraid, anxious, 
you know, upset about something, you know, those kind of things really drain us. And sitting in a chair, I don't know if this has happened to you with COVID, I've been doing more Zoom calls and just sitting and talking to people and as well as virtual consults. And I'm so much more tired than when I'm actually in a clinic setting. So I think that sedentary behavior, what we put in our bodies, how we spend our time thinking, of course, lack of sleep, you know, all of these things are leading to fatigue, but sometimes that fatigue is, you know, it's a mental issue. It's not physical, which is such a new concept for me anyway, it was, it was very, really hard to grasp. And I think that that level of fatigue is one symptom of a complex of things that are also associated with say visceral fat going up. So when you're gaining weight in the midsection, you will find that you're not as able to get as much done in a day, you wind up napping, you need a nap, you need to recharge, your sleep is less restorative, you're not waking up energized. You know, those are things that I think are very important also to recognize as symptoms of something that's off, you know, come back to what, what am I doing that's different? What am I eating that's different? What am I sleeping? Am I giving myself enough time to sleep? So those kind of thoughts I kind of have, you know, go back on when I think about fatigue. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you were talking about, and I also agree with this concept of our visceral fat. It's almost a separate organ in our body that's sending out and receiving all sorts of signals. As far as the stress response goes, it's receiving these stress response signals, and it's actually allows it to grow, and then it's sending out signals which contribute to our fatigue. One of the things that strikes me is, and I don't think a lot of people even acknowledge this because they're just so unaware is simple movements for people who are not really healthy. Maybe they're not at the right body weight. They'll do things like grab onto the arms of a chair to get up, or they're getting out of their car and they grunt, okay? Or getting into the car and they, ugh, you know? And so we don't even realize that we don't have the energy and simple things become harder and it's almost just become part of our lives. And one of the great things that we have at the Columbia Association is this functional training courses where we actually teach people how to do certain exercises which assist in their functioning, like how do you pick up things and how can you get stronger picking up things or squatting or getting in certain positions like getting under the sink and fixing something. You shouldn't have to grunt. It shouldn't have to be a major phenomena for you to get on the floor to play with your children or grandchildren. And that functional training is one way to actually work with that. And I'm really proud of that program that we have at Columbia Association for people to actually get into that. In terms of, I think we've really defined the problem, you know, that people are experiencing. What do you think is the biggest obstacle to improving it? Well, first, I'm really thrilled to know about this functional training because I do think that, you know, just like a couple of pounds creep on and five years later, you're up 15 pounds. I think day-to-day struggles are so kind of subtle and you wake up one day and you're just like, oh, why am I so stiff? Or the weakness of using your arm pads to help you get up. I feel like that one thing is the recognition is the biggest hurdle. We are not aware of how we are progressing because it's so subtle over the years. It's like almost you have to have a family member say, hey, you okay? And you say, well, what's going on? I'm fine. Well, you didn't look as good standing up out of that chair. You know, you almost have someone to tell you because it's so subtle that it creeps up. And just, I think that we have to be proactive as physicians, as well as for patients to be 
always wanting, you know, what's the ideal? You know, I think that we're too lax in saying, of course, I feel this way. I'm 60. Of course, I feel this way because I'm 40 and I'm juggling this three kids and a job and, you know, taking care of my in-laws. I don't think we should accept the fact that we feel badly because of a situation. I feel like we should always be proactive to say, you know, why don't I feel like I did five years ago? I'm not saying that we all need to be 20 or 30 again, but I think that we are too easily kind of accustomed to just being all right with the way we are and not seeing why we're not the way we were five years ago or three years ago, whatever that is. I feel like the first thing is awareness to be aware of the fact that we're struggling with something. I think a gain of five or 10% of our body weight is a huge symptom of something that's off that should bring us back to recognizing and going back to our food and our sleep and our movement. I think it's, it's one of those triggers and not just to be accepting of it saying, of course, I'm older, I'm going to be heavier, which I think a lot of people just take for granted and accept. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Well, big problem and hard to fix. So we're going to talk a little bit about remedies now and how we can get pointed in the right direction. Now, more than 80% of getting healthy is what you eat. So it's not just about getting back to the gym. It's about what you eat. And let's talk a little bit about what your recommendations are to people about that. So I'm very much motivated by plant-forward diet. 80 to 90% of your food should come from plants is a goal of mine for my patients because the data is there. We're a nutritionally depleted society and we need we get a lot of that nutrition fats, proteins, carbs, the whole thing from plants, and you don't necessarily need any animal products. And why is animal products so bad? Because it's inflammatory. It can cause inflammation, not just in your coronary arteries, but also in your gut. It can lead to intestinal permeability, it can lead to hormone imbalance. It can cause a lot of disruptions in the body. So my personal feeling and my interest for my patients is to be as much plant forward and plant-based as possible. And if you are choosing to have meats or animal products to have the best quality version of that grass fed, no antibiotics, you know, any type of food that's kind of the best version of itself would be great. You can be a bad vegan, a bad vegetarian. So we do want to push more of the whole foods, non-processed, less preservatives type of concept as well, because that we know through data has been helpful with reducing inflammation, reducing, getting people to ideal body weight, reducing risks of things like hypertension and diabetes and other chronic medical problems. So I don't see a reason not to do it. And it's quite frankly, great for the environment as well. So that is one of the food plans that I push on. Now there's tweaking. We do gluten-free for some people. We do, you know, FODMAP, which is for people with gut issues. So you can tweak these things, but the basic concept is more plants. Yeah. And so I think also, if you'll comment on caloric density, you know, because yeah. when you have a plant-based diet, it's not calorically dense. Right. So of course, the issue for me is one of the biggest deficiencies in our U.S. diets is based on fiber. Fiber is a very, very lacking nutrient in most diets. I think the RDA requirement for women is 25 grams and for men it's 35 grams, but that's the minimum minimum that you need. And fiber is not very high in calories. So a lot of high fiber foods, which are in plants, are going to be nutritionally dense, but calorically low, which is great for when people want to do weight loss, because a fundamental concept of weight loss is always calories in and then calories out. It's not the only concept, but I think it's a big one. 
And so we have to kind of look at that. And I'm personally not a big calorie counter, and I don't think it's very easy to do. So I like to just talk to people about trying to focus on more whole foods that are nutritionally dense versus caloric density so that they can stop counting calories and just feel full because those foods will also, you'll need less of a quantity in order to feel full and you'll stay full longer because fiber, you know, has increased satiety. So those are, you know, simple things to start with, as well as just maybe in your plate, look at it and fill half of your plate with fiber, plant-based foods, whether it's salads, veggies, whatever you want, but half of that plate being a fiber rich part of it can decrease your intake of high caloric foods that have lower nutritional value. That's a great point. And I often like to say to patients, you know, when you look at caloric density, you could have two big tablespoons of peanut butter, which is a lot of calories and very calorically dense, or you could have basically half of a watermelon and you'll still be ahead with the watermelon. So I think yeah. that's a great, I mean, it's amazing how much watermelon you can have if you compare it to two or three tablespoons of peanut butter, which is high in fat, high in calories, and you can have a little of anything, but not too much of some of these calorically dense foods. Let's talk about protein. Do you think Americans get too much protein or not enough? I think there is a lot of focus on a protein-rich diet that's not necessary. I think people get excessive amounts of protein and not in a good way. Protein from sources that are high in saturated fat, low in nutritional value, and the focus being on proteins excessively with the paleo diet and those kind of diets that are low in carbohydrates and fiber I feel take away from the main point. I mean, at the end of the day, what we want with the new research that's out there is we want to grow a good, solid, diverse microbiome, which is the gut bacteria in our colons and, and our stomach. And, and we want to have it diverse. And what grows that diverse microbiome are plants and high fiber foods. So if we take away from that and go focus on protein sources, specifically from animal products, we're doing ourselves a huge disservice. Yes, sometimes we'll see pounds fall off, but it's not in a healthy way. And I think the problem is that we still create inflammation when we lose weight in an unhealthy way, which sometimes is the focus on more and more protein, sacrificing carbohydrates that are healthy and fiber that's healthy. So I do think that there is a tremendous push towards high protein, which I think most Americans get adequate or too high, if any, and, and you know, too excessive protein can result in fat accumulation as well when you're not using the calories to burn it off. So I think the problem is, yes, we're we are focused on the wrong thing. And uh, people more than, it's very challenging in America to get a low protein issue happening. Everyone is getting adequate protein, I feel. I was just reviewing some average intake of, of different things. And to your point about fiber, we're woefully deficient in fiber, which contributes to all sorts of you know, medical maladies like diverticulosis and reflux. So the average American typically gets less than 20 grams of fiber. If you look at American males, I was stunned to find out that the average American male gets over 100 grams of protein a day. Yeah. When really, based on something I just read, a published series, it's probably beneficial to get about 0.3 to 0.4 grams per pound of protein per day. So for somebody who weighs 150, that's much more protein than I think most people will get. And I think the problems with protein, as you said, are it contributes to aging, depending on the type of protein, it can be a negative factor for your microbiome. It also causes hyperfiltration of the kidneys. 
And so I think it's something we have to really pay attention to, but you can get plenty of protein from plants, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Legumes and beans and seeds and nuts and even grains and green vegetables, they're loaded in protein. You just, I think the thing is you have to be intentional and you have to be aware of diversifying your diet so that you're getting different sources of protein. And a plant-based diet is very doable. We just have to be conscientious about nutrients that we might be a little bit deficient in. So we have to add more variety in order to get that goal. So that's part of the fix. I think the other part of the fix is the mindset, right? How do we improve people's desire and improve their discipline so they can get motivated and get onto this? Yeah. So I think that that is big. That's why when, when I, when you ask me, what's the biggest hurdle, it's an awareness issue. And I think people feel overwhelmed. And a lot of times people come to weight loss as a frustrated issue where they're completely disgusted and they're just completely frustrated. And then they want to start taking it on, which is I think part of the problem. So getting help, getting assistance with say a nutritionist or getting help with a trainer can get people on that path, which is very helpful. But ultimately, I think it's the small things we do every day that can make a big difference. For example, if you're sitting on your desk with Zoom calls all day, you know, every between Zoom calls, do a yoga pose or do squats or do something that can, or just walk around a little bit just to get some movement going, adding some, like I said, half the plate of fiber. If you're totally against vegetables, which I have several patients where they're just never had a vegetable or their only vegetable is like, you know, French fries. That is something where you can introduce different concepts of just half your plate, different greens, different berries, different whatever it is. If you introduce it slowly, also starting with breathing techniques or mind-body connections to lower your stress, it's the small things that we can do. Focusing on sleep, we haven't even talked about sleep, but you know, sleep deficiencies can change our hormones that regulate appetite. So, you know, we wake up with higher hunger hormones when we're sleep deprived and lower satiety hormones when we're sleep deprived. So working on your sleep can be a huge step towards weight loss just by kind of correcting that. And also it gives you motivation when you're not tired to do things that'll make you feel better. Yeah. Having healthy sleep is so important. One of the things I ran into just recently is that most people oftentimes sleep in a warm environment. It turns out if you sleep between 65 and 68, you actually will increase your metabolic level and it actually helps you while you're sleeping, lose a little bit more or burn a little bit more calories. So looking at sleep as a healthy experience is really important. And, you know, most people need between six and seven and a half hours uh, per night. And hopefully it's, it's healthy, sustained sleep and restorative, but it's not always that way for, for many people. How about that pleasure center that drives people to come off their health plan? You know, I don't want to say diet because diet's not a great word, but they're striving to be healthy and that little area in your brain, you know, wants a donut or wants some candy. Thoughts? Yeah. So I think that the reasons are different for people. I think there's a huge drive for our our brain basically is sometimes not our friend in terms of that negative feedback that we, that says, Hey, don't do this because we do have a set point in our brain for our weight which is gets challenged when we lose weight excessively or not even excessively when we lose even five or 10%, there's a huge push from our brain that says, go back to your set point. And so we have to fight that. But I I think that as people get more aware, how important it is to overcome that one with intention 
and awareness, but also focus on things like sleep and even water intake, right? So sometimes our hunger cravings are managed by just drinking more water because we're dehydrated and we feel like we're hungry. So kind of substituting things, we feel it, we hear it, but we're aware that it's our body trying to get us off track. You know, sometimes just that awareness of knowing that that's there helps us stay on track. So yes, it is a big problem. And I think it's a big driver of why people crave things that are quick dopamine rushes, whether it's high sugar or chocolate or something that has high saturated fat, because it feeds that center to release that feel good hormone for just a little bit. But then it just is a deterrent for us later. And it's also hurtful for us later. So yeah, I think one of the big things to do is just kind of be aware that it's existing and then we can overcome it. Yeah, that's that chemical signaling that we all experience throughout the day is really what drives us oftentimes to make the wrong decisions. And then once it gets going, it's really, really hard to stop. And to your point, it never really stops. When you reach the weight that you want, it's just as hard to stay there as it was to lose it. And I think that's a huge challenge for most people, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it. Right. And circling back to something you said earlier, which I totally agree is a lot of people need help, whether they need help with a therapist to work with why they do certain habits, certain behaviors, or when they get to the gym to use a good trainer to work them through and, and help them and guide them and act as cheerleaders for them. And, you know, one of the things that we have great at the Columbia Association is we have terrific certified personal trainers that are really clued into this to work with a patient or what they would call a client. And I have so many patients that once they start with a personal trainer, they continue and they'll say to me, that's one of the best things I do for my health is work with a personal trainer. Yeah, it costs a little bit out of my pocket, but it's a lot better than eating junk food three times a week and what I have to pay for that. So all of these things are really crucially helpful. Can I just share a story, personal story with my mother who passed on November, but my dad was always trying to get her to go to the gym. And basically she had never listened to him. And so one of the ways she connected to him was to join the gym after he passed. So she thought there was like, because he was such a gym rat that she thought she would be kind of with him when she's at the gym. Three months into the Columbia Association, she did the Fifth Beginnings program there. And she felt so good within six weeks. She was so happy with the thought of working out, something she's never done before, but she did it with guidance and she did it in a structured way. She fell in love with it and she was so happy. And I think she also was happy with the fact that she felt better. They didn't even, I think you don't even know how good you can feel until you feel it. And I think things like exercise and things like, you know, working with a nutritionist sometimes, and even a therapist can guide us to not only why we crave the foods we crave, but also, you know, in terms of helping us build a better version of ourselves or whatever we thought we could be like is really great. And I was so thankful to the Columbia Association for that experience for my mother because she just it transformed her. It was late in life, but it was, again, it's never too late to try something new. It was a really great experience. You're so right about that. And, you know, when you ask people that actually get into an exercise program, you know, how they feel, they'll always tell you they always feel better, much better yes. after exercise. And it's always interesting how people fall off from that. Like, you know, with our pandemic, a lot of people have fallen off and we have seen major changes in health because people came out of their regular rhythm and then they weren't exercising, and then they were looking for comfort food. And there have been a lot of people that have gained in excess of 10 and 15 and 20 pounds during this pandemic. 
But we're here at the Columbia Association to provide all of these services, and I hope people take advantage of them. So summing it up, you know, we touched briefly on, you know, the remedies for being over fat, you know, a great diet, regular exercise. We talked about sleep and we talked about stress and we talked about brain signaling, which is, I think, behind why people transition into an unhealthy environment because their pleasure center gets out of control. So I just want to finish up by asking you any other message that you want to pass on. I also think it's important to know when to eat. So, you know, periods of fasting are really helpful when done correctly. I like people to talk to their physicians and providers about it, but I think it's not only what we eat, but when we eat. And so if we can start to cycle people into thinking about their last meal and their first meal being at least 12 hours apart, it sounds a little silly. Late night snacking is very, very common. And that really derails people from their weight goals. And it's very simple. Even if you have some liquid beverage or something that's a handful of nuts or berries, anything after the time where the sun sets, our pancreas works much harder in terms of that insulin signaling and sugar metabolism. So I do want people to think about not only all of the things you just said, which are really important, but also with the timing of their foods and their meals, it's really, really helpful to try to create a 12-hour window of not eating. For most of us, that's possible. And there are some exceptions where they have to have a late-night snack to manage their sugar if they're on certain meds. But yeah, that would be the only other point that I would bring. Thanks for bringing that up. You know, time-restricted eating, or what some people refer to as intermittent fasting and mimicking diets, it's a really important point. And just for our listeners, that's going to be another podcast really down the road, not far from now. Well, it's been great having you here. Thank you so much for being on the Medical Advisory Board and for all of your great thoughts. And uh, it's been a pleasure to have you as a guest today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again for listening to our show and future podcasts on dragondigitalradio.podbean.com. I'll see you next time. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.